Friends, because uh, the preaching of the Word is a meeting with God, because I stand as one among you preaching, not one uh, apart or over you, and because we both need the Holy Spirit today to hear and respond, I pray the Lord be with you. Let's pray. God, open our ears, open our hearts to receive you. Scandalize us, Jesus, we pray. And in doing, bring us in alignment with your kingdom. We ask this in your name and for your sake. Amen. Amen. So friends, I did mention that this is going to be a little different today uh, in terms of how we're going to proclaim the good news. And so I'm going to ask for your help. And it's going to be a little more interactive. Uh, But we're going to be in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read it again. And I'm going to ask you, like, what do you notice? What draws your attention? What either bothers you or excites you? Or do you have questions about? This is uh, starting in verse 1. He left, Jesus left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there except that he had laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went out among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. The word of the Lord. So, friends... What did you hear? What did you notice? What bothers you or fires you up? What's barely keeping you awake? Yes. 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 Yes, Nancy. So Jesus calls them to make themselves voluntarily dependent upon other people in mission as a, as a central core component of their missionary strategy. And the lectionary, by the way, that we read every week isn't put together willy-nilly. Yeah. Like there, there is a coherence and a logic to it. Like the passages are picked by a group of people for a theological purpose. So they do illuminate each other. And Nancy's drawing out the, um, my power is made perfect in weakness. 
And I think this text is all about power. So we'll say more about that in a little bit. Yeah, what else are you noticing? No, you're not awesome, yeah. <clears throat> but, but, or, or just, you know, you go to your hometown where people know you, and they're like, Yo, isn't that Isaiah, the one who, like, you know, peed his pants and he was like, hey, yes. Like, you know, like, they don't, you know, they don't care that, you know, you went to some cool college or, you right. know, you, you know, have some cool job or have some cool kids or whatever. Yeah. Yes, right. Good, good. So you've experienced this too. Like, you go out and you do wonderful things. Yeah. You change the world out out of your hometown, and you go home, and mom and dad are still asking why your hair is so long, and if you're losing weight, or, you know what I mean? Like, they're still trying to make decisions for you, and there's no honor there. It's just you're like, you're their son or their kid, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? I mean, I can preach. What? Go, go ahead, Joel, Andrea. That's important, Andrea. I don't think it's always that for many people. But what you're, you're describing, like your posture towards Scripture is, there's an invitation here for you to find yourself in this story, right? Which is an assumption about what Scripture is for that isn't shared by everyone. But I, I don't know how else to approach Scripture. That's a faithful way. I just want to affirm what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. And so then when I read that Jesus is the one who encourages us to believe, I always feel hopeful at the same time. Like, is that really something like that? Like, how can we be, you know, like, be open to our power to do this? Yes. Because we want, we, we want to, like, say, we want to be obedient to your job, or, like, we have faith in the program. But when, when we read a word that's like, wow, he's the one who Yes. 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 Good. So the people in the Gospels who miss Jesus are the ones who know most about the Word of God and the most about Jesus. The people who are most familiar with the Scriptures and are most familiar with the person of Jesus are the ones who, as a whole group, miss Jesus before the resurrection. Now, afterwards, we have Nicodemus is getting his mind right. We got Mary and James getting their mind right. Right? But yeah, so there's something there. And then, Andrew, what you're saying is the, the people who most resemble modern day knowing the scriptures and knowing Jesus aren't the people out there. It's the people in this room. So perhaps this is a text that calls us to some sort of uh, repentance or reckoning is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. We can say more about that too. One more. Joel, what do you think we got? Well, uh, the thing I was going to say that I noticed um, was, and I feel like we're kind of sticking on the same uh, part of the passage, but uh, the people are amazed at the 
things that Jesus is doing yeah. and saying, they're, yeah. they're amazed, and yet even in their amazement, they're like, but this is Jesus. We know his family. Yes. And, and so like even, <laughs> even, even in their amazement, they're just like, oh, it's, just, it's just this Jesus guy. And, and they took offense at him. Yes. Yes. So they even recognize his words of wisdom and deeds of power and still are unbelieving. So the question is, why? Let's presume they're not like psychotic. (laughs) Let's presume that they're actual humans like you and I who are motivated by the same kinds of things we are. Because I think, that, I think all four of you have set this text up really well. Jesus comes back to his hometown after developing quite a name for himself, right? We've got four chapters of Jesus, uh, five chapters of, really, of Jesus killing it all over the place. Uh, but it's not, quite the, it's not quite the reception one would expect. It's not the homecoming of the superstar, right? Or the, the prophet. He's met with astonishment, confusion, perplexity, I'm not sure I've ever said that word before, perplexity, and finally, scandalous offense. So here's the question I want us just to think about for a second. How did, here's the question I'm thinking about, and a number of you have just said, how did those who knew Jesus better than anyone else find it so easy to lack faith? How did those most familiar with Jesus. They had access to him for almost three decades. We know all about you, is what they say to him. How did the people who knew the most all about Jesus find it so easy to not trust him? I want to suggest this has to do with pride, power, and presence. Of course, it's always three Ps. It's always three Ps. Posturing and presumption. <laughs> I want to suggest it's all about power, pride, power, and presence. Because when the bastard becomes a big deal, Nazareth can't handle it. And they're offended. The good news today is that the kingdom of God in Jesus is scandalous. It reorients our relationships. It redefines what power is and makes the familiar a sacramental meeting place for God. So I was uh, gone last Sunday uh, with my family, my wife, Sharon, and my kids, and I was seeing some of my best friends in the world, and we were hanging out together, and one of our best friends uh, is making a life decision about a move, and, and he has to decide what job to take. And, um, and I'm, I'm processing this with another buddy, like, hey, I'm really concerned he's going to make the wrong decision, or that he's going to try to make a decision on his own without bringing in his, the church, the community to help him, and that he's, he's not telling like parts of our friend community about this decision because it impacts them. Like he's deciding whether or not to go to be a part of the community that some of our friends go to or 
go to this other community apart from them, and he's trying to make this decision apart from these friends. So I'm just, you guys know me well enough by now, I'm just verbally processing this with another one of our buddies. Uh, and probably because it was 1.30 in the morning, and we'd had slightly more than four ounces of alcohol. <laughs> slightly. He looks at me and he goes, um, essentially, it took him 90 minutes being extremely gentle with me. But, but he, he essentially said to me, you have a big brother, little brother relationship with this, with this friend, and it's a barricade in your relationship. You consistently, these are my words, you consistently big time him and hold the power. And I'm telling you, I did not like that. No, I didn't. <laughs> not one bit. I got super upset. Super upset. Uh, friends, I like, I like to be in control. One of the reasons, uh, I like words. I like to be in control with words. I like to have the power there. And in my relationships, what I'm noticing, my friend Matt helped me see this, his name's Matt too, that I often will position myself in a posture of no vulnerability, holding power so that I, uh, so that I don't have to receive or submit or uh, be weak. This isn't malicious. I'm not, I don't think I'm a despot demagogue running around building a castle on the backs of cheap labor. Like, I don't think that's how it plays out, but it plays out by keeping me safe, keeping me in charge, keeping me in control. And I, I do that through the thing that I'm good at. So I use my competency to keep me safe. I don't know if anybody can relate to that today. <laughs> I want to suggest that there's good news for me in this text. Right, Andrea? <laughs> there's good news for me in this text today because the kingdom of God wants to scandalize my relationships and how I orient to power and help me find the presence of God in the familiar. Maybe all of us. So friends, let's, let's notice a few things here. Uh, like Joel pointed out in verse 2, they've heard about what Jesus has done. He's teaching in their synagogue, so they're hearing that he's a pretty good preacher. Above average, probably. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, but uh, I, I want to suggest that... that <laughs> notice that they're amazed or astounded is what the text I read, if you, if you were to just take um, a weekend, probably wouldn't take you a weekend, a Friday night and read through all four Gospels and just note when people are amazed or astounded by Jesus and then also note how many of them come into like a, like a relationship of saving faith with him, this is the number of people amazed and astounded by him and this is the number of people that actually respond faith in him. I think we live in an age today of complete spiritual boredom. 
And spiritual boredom seeks amazement. We need spectacle, right? We need to be wowed, right? But Jesus isn't after like slacking spiritual boredom. He, he's, he, he wants people who would reckon with their spiritual brokenness because he wants to bring healing to it and, and reconciliation, redemption there. So uh, to be amazed and astounded by Jesus isn't to trust him. And often if we're seeking, if we're seeking like an emotional hit or to get our minds blown, by God, we can just be. There's nothing wrong with being emotionally moved or learning something new. But in a culture of spectacle and entertainment where even pagans are telling us we're amusing ourselves to death, the possibility exists that we're doing the same thing in the church. Yes. Can I get an amen, Casey? So, so, so uh, maybe, maybe sitting with spiritual boredom and just reckoning with it and facing it and being honest about it, it may be the best thing that could ever happen to you. Because we, I think, like Nazareth, like the big show. But not if it costs us. And let's look at what it costs Nazareth. See, they can't deny what he's done. But to trust him, friends... Here's something that we kind of miss because we're uh, 21st century Americans. To, to trust Jesus in this moment would cost them power and position. It would rearrange their social, political status in their community. And we would know this without these details, but these details make it, like, cinch it in. Notice what they say. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. So isn't this the carpenter? Like, we, we know this guy. By the way, the word is tecton, which probably means Jesus worked with stone, not wood. Uh, when the King James Bible was translated, uh, there, weren't, like, there were lots of carpenters working with wood because Northern Europe has tons of wood. Where Jesus lived, lots of stone. Probably worked with stone. The son of Mary. Now, you guys, you guys probably know this. Like, Jews trace their lineage to their dad. So why would the town call him the son of Mary? Even if Joseph was dead by this point, people still called you by your father's name. It's a slur, friends. It's derisive. The rumor about Jesus that we know from other writings is that his mother was raped by a Roman soldier. At, 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 at best, at best, at worst, she had an affair on Joseph. Jesus was a bastard. Where do you think a common laborer, bastard, without a legitimate dad, ranks on a Jewish social totem pole. Like, like, yeah. 
like like right at the like right above the door to door salesman, but not too. You know what I'm saying? Like really low, really low. Shameful. He was born under suspicious circumstances. And so, friends, don't miss this. To see what he was doing and to confess, affirm, relent, receive that he was a prophet would have been to reorient the entire social structure of Nazareth so that this shameful, dishonored person was now the one with most honor. And it was too much. It was too much. It was too much. I mean, to give us like a, to splash it on the screen, like, just, just imagine Imagine, like, imagine Donald Trump sitting at the feet of an immigrant in prison for entering the country illegally and taking notes. Like, flipping everything. Does that make sense? Like, that's the kind of scandal, socially, politically, it would have been to receive Jesus like this. And that's why they were, the word scandalized means offended. They couldn't do it. It, it literally means like fall away or stumble. And I, I, we can call it pride, right? I won't humble myself before you. But it also has to do with power, friends. It has to do with power. So the kingdom of God in Jesus wants to scandalize the ways we align ourselves socially. And when I, when I say politically, I mean how we, how we order ourselves in a community aligned with power. That's what I mean by po- po- politics. How do we use power? What is power for? Who holds the power? What does power look like? That's what I mean. The bastard is now a big deal and they can't handle it. Because when the bastard becomes the big deal, now the bastard has the most honor. And that's dishonoring for me. And if all I have is my life, my pride, my ego, my standing, my place, what other people think of me, I, I cannot lose my life to gain it. You tracking with me? The kingdom of God in Jesus is scandalous. It redefines power and reorients our relationships, making the familiar a sacramental meeting place with God. So Jesus is amazed at their unbelief. Now, I've heard this text preached, friends, um, before as sort of a guilt hammer. Like if you've got cancer or a child that's sick or you need something, from, you need a miracle, don't do it like Nazareth did. Don't lack faith. But you, you like, you be believing. Believe it for that miracle, right? I don't know if you've heard this before. And I think, I think we talked a few weeks ago in our Table 101 class, which is on next week at uh, 9.30 in the classroom over here, that, um, that that's an understanding of miracles as though God exists here and we exist here. And God sort of zaps into our world. 
right? Like Zeus would. But what we see here is a, is a lot is a lot different because Jesus, notice, Jesus as God refuses to control and override people's wills. Do you notice that? Another way to say it, just to, you know, <laughs> why say anything in a way that doesn't make people upset? If you can make people upset. <laughs> God doesn't always get his own way because God is love and love is essentially uncontrolled. Jesus is looking for willing partners who will be in mutual relationship with him. He's not looking to come in and blow away all unbelief by his power. Over and over again, he chooses not to do that. Over and over and over again. That's who God is, friends. That's what God is like. So we don't just need more faith. It's not something we have to like work ourselves into trust with. In fact, what it actually is, is we see that miracles happen when resistance to the Holy Spirit is lowered. And usually it looks like this, laying down our pride, giving up our power, questioning, I know that. Do you? Do you? Pride, power, and presence. Like God, God is here. Even in this little room with no smoke machines. Like God is here. God's power then is not about control. Jesus consents to their unbelief. He's amazed by it. it just imagine, imagine like the people you know the best and you know their stories, you love them and they choose to not trust you, and your response is just completely astonished, amazed. But he consents to it. And then Mark makes it so clear to us what Nazareth is losing, because he immediately puts this next part about Jesus sending out his 12. So you get this picture of Jesus, the epicenter of God's activity, coming to the people that know him the best, and nothing happens. Then you have the people Jesus has trained going to the villages around and all kinds of amazing stuff happens. Right? Verses 5 and 13. They're opposites of each other. So friends, here's the question for us today. The question that I think, Andrea, you prepared us for really well. Where is pride? You're standing in place in culture. Where is pride hindering God's work in your life? Where are you perhaps using power in a way that blocks the kingdom of God? And, and where, friends... Um, what are you so familiar with that you may, may be missing? You may be entertaining angels unaware. So uh, I'm, I'm in this relationship with my son right now uh, where I'm always learning. And uh, I find that I, about a dozen times a day, that's a conservative estimate, I kind of launch into these little moralistic speeches 
unawares, not even trying. I'm just, I just start pontificating about uh, righteousness. And uh, I mean, it's just ridiculous, right? Um, trying to explain better to a nine-year-old about how to obey, because that's why he disobeys, he's stupid. And so, <clears throat> like, I find myself doing this, um, and I'm meditating on this text, and obviously, like, in my house, like, as a dad, like, all three of these things are at work for me. There's so much pride and ego wrapped up in my, my fathering. There's so much power that I have positionally over my son. And like my son is so familiar to me that I often miss how God is at work in his life for me. Like it's, it's all there for me. So um, I, think, I think what pre- precipitated this was like I saw, I saw my son uh, mistreating, like we were playing kickball and he was like yelling at his friends. And I kept trying to tell him to stop yelling at his friends. I did that about, I don't know, two, three, eight times. And then I, and then I stopped and I just kind of shut my mouth and just was praying. And I just asked, like, because I'm meditating on this, I asked the Lord, like, what does it look like for me to trust your kingdom, Jesus, here, your power here? What does it look like? Notice, uh, like Nancy, like you said, notice when Jesus sends out missionaries, he sends them out to make themselves voluntarily weak to the people they want to reach. How different is that from our missionary strategies? At least for the first 400 years of Western Christianity, right? Uh, meaning post-Reformation. Like we, our posture wasn't, uh, will you serve me? I need your help. It was, uh, you're welcome, white people are here. I mean, I don't know, that's a pretty crass way to say it, but that's, that's a, it might be a caricature, but that's, if that wasn't our intent, that's the way everybody re- received us. <laughs> That's what they're saying. Uh, so, like, for me, I'm like, okay, how do I make myself weak to a nine-year-old? Like, how do I, how do I, and so anyway, I just started sharing him, I told him the story about, I used to get picked on as a kid in elementary school, and I would cry, which didn't work. Like, it didn't stop the picking on, it actually enhanced it. And so, I told him the story about the one day I was getting picked on, and I fought back. And I put this guy named John in a headlock, and I didn't let go. And I got him to the ground, and he was choking, and people had to drag me off of him. And then I ran away from school and walked through the neighborhood. And there was no lesson for him. It wasn't like, so stop choking John. <laughs> there wasn't any, It was just like, I need you to know, Deacon, that like, that I'm, st- I'm still that 11-year-old boy who's hurting in some ways. I need you to know that I still, like, that's me. Like, it's not something I'm over because I'm a pastor now. I've mastered divinity. No, this is, this is my story. This is my life. This is me. And he actually asked me questions about it. We had a great conversation. I felt like it was a way for me to divest myself of power with my son. Friends, how does the kingdom of God and Jesus want to scandalize your life today? Your relationships. Your relationship to power. The places that you're familiar. 
that maybe God is present there and you didn't even know it. Take a moment, friends, and just sit with that question. And my guess is there's just one or two things that come to mind. We usually have a time of response where we, we take that thing that we want, need to respond and we hold it in prayer before the Lord and then we all agree. Um, but we don't have that in our bulletin today. And rather than trying to help you remember it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to collect all of the things that you're holding and submit them to the Lord. Okay, And then I'm going to tell you how we're going to respond to those things in our liturgy. We do this every week, but I'm going to really tie it in this week. Okay, So hold that thing in your heart. For me, it's my relationship with my buddy, Adam. I've called him twice this week to sort of uh, confess with him, and he hasn't answered either time because he's a busy man. But I, I'm going to call him again, and I need to lay down my power my life. And with my son, for me, it's I need to continue to <sighs> let him in to my powerlessness. In, in responsible, wise ways as his dad. So what is it for you? I encourage you to put your hand out and just hold it in your hand as a symbol of surrender, consent. The sin of Nazareth wasn't that they were stupid. It was that they refused to surrender. It cost too much. Just hold it out. Let me pray for us. Lord, we confess that we are in love with worldly power. We like to be right. We want to be central. We want to be on top. We don't want to lose status for the sake of your name. We don't want to align ourselves with the broken and hurting in our world because it might cost us. We confess that we often don't see the day of our visitation because we're, we're too familiar or too, it's too ordinary. It's just Mary's son. So God, whatever it is, wherever you're speaking, whatever your Holy Spirit is putting his hands on, we hold it out to you like this. And we pray, come Lord Jesus. May your kingdom come here. Scandalize us. We pray. We don't want to just be amused or entertained or convicted by this sermon. We don't want to be astounded and amazed. We want to simply say yes and surrender. We believe, help our unbelief, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.